Welcome to Market Savvy Conversations. My name is Megan Walker. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a very special guest, Tim Kettle, who is the National President of Speech Pathology Australia and is also a practicing speech pathologist. We're going to be talking about the challenges faced by therapists in private practice in these fast-paced, high-demand times. Hi, Tim. How are you? Hi, Megan. I'm really good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me along. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. Tim, give us the background. Start by telling us a little bit about who you are, um, your studies, where you've practiced, just your little story. Sure, absolutely. Look, I, I was one of the lucky ones who fell into speech pathology. So I started doing a degree majoring in English, thinking that I would be an English teacher. Um, and that was kind of the goal. I was going to live happily ever after and, and teach children. But it turns out that perhaps it's not a fairy tale that actually teaching is something that maybe I don't have the skill set for, that sort of crowd control of things. Um, <laughs> I was much more interested in language. Um, and when I actually found out that speech pathology is more than very traditional articulation therapy or stuttering or lisp, but actually there's a whole world of vocabulary and story creation and sentence structure, it sort of worked, like it just sort of clicked for me. So I started my studies at Flinders University, I'm based in South Australia, um, and just loved it, loved absolutely every single day. As soon as I walked into the lecture theatre, I was just, oh, this is, this is really interesting stuff. But I ended up with my first job working in education. That's where I kind of wanted to be and working in classrooms with teachers um, and loved that job. But then an opportunity came up in disability. So I jumped shipped up for about a year and started working with small kids in disability. And then, you know, it was back in the fabled, you know, beginning of the century where we could travel places. And I ended up spending five years in the UK, also working um, in central London, doing some really fantastic stuff. Again, with paediatrics, I've always been um, focused on developmental language, which I really, really love. Then after five years, I came back and then did some rounds again, went into hospital, back into disability school age, found myself in education again. And my longest job is now this one, where I work in a private practice and seeing kids one-to-one. -one. But I suppose I've done lots and lots of things, but I've always really liked to be quite sort of direct therapy with mm. kids working really, really hard. Mm. Oh, fantastic. What an amazing like background and the stories you could tell. <laughs> yeah. oh, look, absolutely. It's, it really is one of the, the best things it's that, you know, it's one of those, it's not the only career, but I think with a lot of allied health professions, mm -hmm. you can actually have, you know, once you've done sort of a few years at something, you either challenge yourself and move upwards or you move into a completely different field because um, there's so much you can do. Yeah, wonderful. And in moving up and progressing your career, you've taken on a number of board positions. Would you like to talk to that? Yes. So, yeah. So that's been fascinating. Again, an accidental fall into. So I was working in education and I took on a contract role as the principal speech pathologist for education in South Australia and was doing a lot of work with adolescents and discovering, you know, the difference between regular adolescents and adolescents who've actually grown up with a language disorder. And actually those two look very, very similar to, to one another, which is Fascinating stuff. Anyway, I was doing a lot of work and pilot project um, project working, and I think that's what drew the board of directors' attention to me as being doing something that was somewhat different. And I was invited, asked to apply for a position on the board, and I rather blithely did that and sort of ventured into this amazing group of very, very inspirational people at the top of their careers, you know, and throwing out ideas and 
it was something completely different for me, Megan. So all of a sudden, we're looking at strategy. We've got a helicopter. Governance. Food. Yeah, exactly. Like, not just clinical governance, but like real corporate governance. You know, how do you influence people, advocacy, media, very, very high level conversations. Mm -hmm. And normally I would have sort of turned tail and, and ran, but I didn't realise, of course, when you're sitting on a board, you're actually there with a group of people and it's kind of like a team sport, really sort of having a bit of a go and looking at fascinating problems and fleshing it out, which is really different to my private practice where I'm... Mm -hmm you know, one person in a room with a family. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm the one that has to provide all of the answers. Now, all of a sudden, I don't. I have to provide the questions. So it's been fascinating. Yeah. I joined the board in 2015 and just loved it. And when I fall into something that I love, I think like most allied health professionals, you research as much as you possibly can about it. So I decided to train myself up a little bit and really start working out, you know, what is strategy? What is risk? Yeah. How do we, you know, do the best job that we possibly can do when we're in a board? Like I've fallen into it. I'd actually probably better be pretty good at it because there's a lot <laughs> of responsibility involved in it. So I did. I, I trained myself up and I was very, very lucky to um, be voted onto an international board, which is called IUP, but it actually stands for the International Association for Communication Sciences and Disorders, oh, wow. which again, you like then moving into that room um, was amazing. It's a board table of about 33 people, all of them world leaders in particular areas so stroke recovery or multilingualism or autism or something along those lines i got into that particular board because i'm actually representing um, a certain medium-sized societies and how they interact with and how we influence or work with agencies like the who so all of a sudden i'm like a kid in a candy store like this yeah. is amazing you know, like these kinds of conversations and the wonderful thing is that i never really felt like i was the boss if that makes sense like i was really a bit of a team player and mm. just completely different skill set so since then i've joined a few other things i've joined um, an advisory board for one of the university speech pathology programs mm -hmm. which is fantastic love that I also was invited to an Irish journal, the Advances in Communication um, journal, which is fantastic. I've never published a word in my life, but I can bring some of that clinical expertise as well. And I've just um, accepted, been appointed for a role um, on a not-for-profit board here in South Australia, which is all about active inclusion for people from a variety of lives getting into sport and recreation. And I can't wow. wait to start walking into a room with people with different professions from me and, and doing problem solving stuff as well. So I love it. It really energises me. I love your mindset and your approach to taking on new challenges. Uh, that was so refreshing to hear you say, sitting around a board table about asking questions when so many of us are used to having experiences of boards of command and control. And yeah. so how refreshing to go, we're actually here to be problem solvers. That's yeah. just, that just opens up innovation, doesn't it? When you, oh, it's, it's amazing, you, sort of, you know, like it, it just it energizes you because what you're really doing is asking questions of each other and you're sort of acting as though as a brain's trust. So you know, we have an amazing CEO in all of the organisations in which I'm involved. You're like, that's kind of the job. You want to get the best CEO that you absolutely can. Yeah. And you act as a bit of a brain's trust in terms of this is something that we are seeing out there that we think we need to try, or this is my experience. Mm. You know, it's just, 
we have big board meetings at Speech Pathology Australia. So we all get together or used to for about two days and I am exhausted by the end of it. You know, like I just sort of like go home and just smack onto the bed. And just <laughs> it ages. No one talks to me for ages, but it's so energizing. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely, really love it. Fantastic. I, I want to go down a little rabbit hole question without notice. Mm. If a practitioner or therapist is listening and they're thinking, oh, yeah, I, I think a board career could be for me. What's just a few thoughts, early thoughts you've got for people if they're uh, in, you know, in preparation for that direction? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, look, my advice really is get as involved with the organisation that you're interested in so that you know what it is that's going on. Because if you step onto a board, you're actually taking on a huge amount of responsibility. Cool. If that organisation goes belly up, you know, you're responsible for that, you know. So it's not something to take on lightly. So I think that what you do is you get involved in that particular association. So if it's your professional organisation, if you're a health provider, then get involved in sort of the activities that are going on, you know, meet people become energized by all of those sorts of things mm. and I also think that it's you know a good idea to ask questions get involved social media presence you know anything that's sort of going on get involved you know and yeah, if you yeah. like that and you're enjoying that energy then I think maybe you should step up yeah oh great advice you know that we're we're a humble lot aren't we and um, you know so many people have got these amassed wealth of knowledge and information but Oh, who would want to hear from me? I don't want to be on camera. I won't do that. And you just think, come on, you know, you can do it. Yeah. Yes, there might be a naysay here and there, but, you know, they're not, as Brené Brown says, join me in the arena and then I'll listen to what you've got to say. We don't worry about naysayers. Yeah, <laughs> Tell me about um, speech pathologists in Australia. Let's uh, come back to our, our home patch. Uh, you know, we've got unprecedented growth and demand. We've got all sorts of challenges happening. What do you see from your role, um, both as practitioner and as president, the, the challenges being faced by pathologists in Australia? It's, it's such a good question, Megan. So around about three or four years ago, there was this massive expansion of university programs and people were really worried about, oh my gosh, we're going to have an oversupply oh, yeah. of allied health practitioners. This is not that long ago, you know, like mm. 2016, 2017, we were sort of thinking that actually there weren't going to be enough you know, uh, opportunities for students or early career or all of those sorts of things. And I think what's been fascinating is this, um, you know, the society that we live in today has changed massively, particularly if you look at disability or aged care, for example, you know, like the Royal Commission into Aged Care, you know, blew up, you know, what it was that we were expecting of the role of, how do we look after our senior yeah. you know? And if we think about allied health as being Different to primary health, primary health is about keeping people alive. You know, you go to see a doctor, you're going to see a nurse, you go to hospital, you know, when your life is in danger. But if we use the model that allied health makes life worth living, then mm. all of a sudden, now all of a sudden with, you know, this connectivity around social media, people are actually talking about what does make life worth living. And I think that that's driven the demand for allied health in a sort of like a not deliberate way or anything along those lines, but we've sort of started to work out now that mental health, um, aged care, disability, the way that we actually look after the most vulnerable people in our society is through a number of layers, but allied health has a real role to play. Mm. So all of a sudden there's been this massive demand of allied providers, yeah. And so that's had a couple of big challenges, I think. One of them 
in particular is now all of a sudden it's much harder to get allied health practitioners into rural and remote areas. Yeah. And I'm even thinking about, you know, like just not the metropolitan cities, you know, like the second or third mm. largest cities in states and territories are actually having huge difficulties yeah. recruiting. You know, I look into Northern Territory and, you know, the Northern Territory in particular is having real difficulties in terms of attracting and making sure that spaces are viable. Um, and that's not even rural, you know, that's just, yeah you know, like a, a territory. Um, so I think that's a massive problem because what happens is the demand is happening. You know, the universities are in metropolitan centres. The placements tend to be very close to the universities. And so people are practising there. And so there's a real demand for mm. uh, allied health practitioners there. Um, and I think that's something that we really have to look at. Mm. I think um, the other one, and I think you're absolutely right by saying in Australia, is looking at who are Australians, where is our diversity within there, and looking at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander representation within allied health is a massive, massive, massive need for, if we're going to be Australian, if we're going to be this continent, we actually need to see lots and lots of different people, different backgrounds, different um, ethnicities, languages, cultures, mm -hmm. all of that sort of stuff coming into play. And for speech pathology in particular, what that means is we need to let go of some of that, um, this is the right way to communicate, that very white-centric, British-based... Yeah. White coat. Exactly. You know, yeah, white coat, I will be the practitioner that knows absolutely everything, exactly what yeah. you're saying. You know, this is the correct way to be using language, where actually language doesn't have a correct way. It's really just about making sure that your message is being delivered in the way that you want it to be delivered and that you're able to transmit your thoughts and feelings correctly to other people. So this massive sort of turnaround, particularly for speech pathology, in terms of well, what is the most important part of communication? How does identity tie in? And do we have people who represent those communication styles and identities within our profession? Yeah. So this is why I love being on a board because you're like, there is no answer to that, is there? But everybody will have a different opinion and different strategies. If we all agree that that's something that's vital, Yes. And I know with people that think that it's not, but like, you know, like if people oh, think definitely. it's vital, you know, there are all sorts of things that we need to do in order to progress our profession, progress, progress all allied health professions, actually, um, yeah. and respond to everything that's going on in Australia. I've done this work for 14 years and, and that time you're talking about five years ago, I was having conversations and, you know, doing lots of speaking and conferences and things and talking to speech pathologists and OTs particularly who would come and say to me no one knows our profession um, OTs they, they think we're just grab rails yeah. speech therapists they just think that we're stuttering yeah. there's not enough clients no one will pay for us you know dietitians were in this boat as well and, and it was very much a we don't want to market ourselves but we're desperate these conversations were just happening over and over again and I think wow fast forward we're now in a position of you can work where you want yeah. you can deliver telehealth services into Darwin, Alice Springs, Hobart, you know, wherever you've got a thin market. Yeah. And the, the choice is yours. It's, it's almost flipped in a way. We've got to be careful now that, um, you know, supply and demand issues cause really big constraints, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I think it brings up that whole notion of equity. So if there's a huge yes. demand for, for professionals, you know, how do we make sure that everybody has access Yes. And what's happening at the university level, Tim, no doubt you're having those conversations. Are we gearing up to have a big recruitment drive of, we want you, I'm thinking Uncle Sam, come and sign up for a career in allied health. 
the universities, I can't really speak for any other profession, but for speech pathology, I mean, the universities are doing an amazing job. They are opening up a number of um, courses and backgrounds and making sure that, you know, they're recruiting, you know, the right people for the, for the jobs. The thing that's really exciting is that, you know, Northern Territory is just about to start a program. Tasmania finally is getting their own particular program. So those areas which have been very hard to actually get speech pathologists into and, and keep them there because otherwise you know you're relying on people to leave say Tasmania for example go and study and then come back to Tasmania and work which doesn't always happen particularly if you're sort of newly out of um, high school um, so I think you know the universities are doing a brilliant job they are really they've, we've got some new professional standards they've jumped on board with the identity of a, a speech pathologist really great stuff in terms of the curriculum um, and everything's going really well because Australia is demanding more as well and you know wanting more and recognizing more it's just a matter of us keeping up with the population growth and the need for things to actually happen so I can't fault the universities at all <laughs> you know and I can't fault society either it's just one of those things we just have to work as smart as we possibly can yeah in service to everybody yep and and ride that peak of the wave and and yeah unprecedented growth and yeah. um tell me um from a personal professional perspective what's your vision for the speech pathology industry in australia yeah 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 no absolutely very look, open this, question yeah, no, no, look, this is brilliant because i love it because i don't have to have a vision which is great because you know like that would be the best autocrat thing you know like to sort of swat in and sort of go well this is what's going to happen <laughs> um was really really happy sort of in 2016 speech pathology australia commissioned a project which was actually looking at uh, the project was called sp 2030 so we employed a futurist who also had a background in speech pathology and she was amazing there was over from january to august of that year there was huge stakeholder consultation about when we hit 2030 what is it that we actually want to see and a number of um, eight aspirations actually came out from that discussion and really it's about it's what what's actually that project has actually done has actually driven all of our strategy and our strategic plans as we kind of go so instead of actually having sort of like a an actual strategic plan we've just got these aspirations just mm. got these amazing aspirations That's impressive so looking at sort of communities that have communication access, yeah. that services are for everybody, like we were talking about. So it's so ingrained in me, I can talk about it all yeah, the way. Yeah, good. Anybody can access, you know, wherever they are in the lifespan, that actually the clients themselves and the communities that they're in actually shape this type of service mm. that they kind of want as well. Um, that families and carers are really skilled and confident when dealing with communication disorders or swallowing difficulties. Um, that speech pathologists actually start working a lot more with other professions as well, yeah. that sort of thing. And sort of taking up innovation, looking at technology, how is that not to sort of fear it, to do the old sort of, you know, 1990s style speech pathology, which, you know, terrifying, that's 30 years old now, you know, so, you know, like doing something new, but also, and similarly, like having a, a workforce that actually is quite diverse, quite dynamic, you know, all of those sorts of things. So that project came up with all of these sort of aspirations and that's kind of guided us. And particularly mm. last year, 
when actually we had all these sort of mini projects that we were going to do, we we're going to deliver on, we were trundling along really, really nicely. You know, February comes and actually that strategic plan just had to go out the window. And But what we had left was this sort of idea about this is what our future needs to look like. This is what we need to have. Yes. Um, and I'm being a bit cruel. I said like went out the window. It's not. We sort of had to reprioritise, but we had to really sort of focus on well, what is it as a core culture speech pathology is and how do we go with that and actually you know look I was terrified that we were going to lose members due to the pandemic because of course financial concerns you know having to reevaluate all of those sorts of things was actually going to happen but in fact we grew even more exponentially last year than we had in previous years because we were using that kind of we're going to be responsive here's where the innovation is Here's how we, you know, do things in a diverse manner. Here's how we reach out to other populations, that sort of thing. Mm. And, you know, our members got involved and, wow. and started building on it. So, you know, Megan, I'm just in this amazing privileged position to actually watch that kind of unfold and just be really sort of proud of what it is that our profession does. I've, I've just jotted down two notes, vision and tribe. I love the fact that you actually can recite your vision because it's 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 then it's it is true to what the word vision is supposed to mean it's not framed on a wall somewhere like that's fantastic and and the flexibility of being able to adapt to a global pandemic and still have I don't know it's it's more like an essence of truth isn't it the why of why your organization exists is what comes to the fore even more so Um, I think that you know Look, if I think about the people who graduated this year, they started their course, if it's a four-year undergraduate course, they started in 2018, 2019. Again, that's not my strong point. But like the world was so different then and how much they've had to learn in order to practice, say, next year yeah. is kind of massive. You know, like we've all had to be incredibly agile. And it's not just the pandemic. It's, you know, like all of the political, economic shifts, you know, societal shifts, the sort of things that we're talking about now. You know, mm. just making it a different place that you graduate from to when you actually started your studies. Definitely, which is why the tribe was the other point I wanted to touch on. You know, in this uncertainty, we do gravitate towards um, who's like me, who's thinking like me, where do I feel that sense of reassurance and information and positivity from as well. Like I think that group thinking is become more important and people are reaching for that. And what's your thoughts yeah, look, I think that that's exactly right. I think that what happened was um, people started to look at their own sort of sense of identity and sort of pull in towards it, right? Okay, yeah. so this is who I am, you know, and first of all, we thought about our families, you know, how do I keep my family safe? And then we thought about our communities, our greater families, our friends, all of that sort of stuff. Like we did all of that personal stuff. How do I keep yes. everybody, yes. you know, safe in this time of disruption? And then we looked at our professional identity as well. And we pulled in again. You're absolutely right. And it was fascinating. So something that wasn't working terribly well from my point of view, so not an official point of view, but 2018, 2019, in speech pathology, there are metropolitan-based groups, branches, right? So you might have, for example, the Queensland group, which actually has done incredibly well. Queensland's a massive example. They actually were doing incredibly well with three particular meeting points and meetings there, which is great. All of a sudden this pandemic happens. We've got this thing called Zoom, which actually all of a sudden, it's not just these three hubs, it's everyone in the entire state. And because there was all of this concern, suddenly the numbers of people attending those meetings kind of went up. Ah. It brought people closer together, even though we 
couldn't be in a meeting room. And that's something that's Australia, you know, like Australia, you've got so many people in these sort of, you know, capital cities, yes. but actually 20% 20 of, 20 of our population are not in those capital cities. And it's about bringing those people in as well. So there's some advantages that happen. Yes, level playing field, regardless of location. I love um, that. You could do it before, couldn't you? But it was basically about, say, 20 people in one room and then three people on a screen being ignored you know there wasn't <laughs> yeah. so the word that i'm terrified of is the word hybrid you know i, I yeah. don't like that it doesn't make it an even playing field it's hard work yeah <laughs> um, of, of the 200 questions i've got in mind there's two left i'll ask you so that this doesn't go for three days <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, a speech pathologist can talk, you know, you should have known this. Oh, look, it's open marketers and I'm just thinking, oh, there's so many things I want to ask you. This has been such an interesting conversation. I want to ask you about um, your, I suppose, um, thoughts around speech pathologists integrating with other disciplines. Uh, so your thoughts around that. Um, and raising the profile of the pro profession. And then maybe well, I've got, I'm going to sneak a third one. I'll remind you what it is. And then, and then your kind of advice, I suppose, to the to an individual working in the in the field. Shall we wrap that sure. way? Yeah. My gosh. Okay. Which way are we going to go first? So. so raise maybe start with raising the profile of the profession. What's okay. um, what's your organisation doing on that front? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So in terms of sort of raising the profile of the profession, I think. Again, you know how I was talking about those aspirations. Um, one of the things that's really important is timely service. And I think timely is, is vital for all allied health, not just speech pathology. But if you have something that you need, you need to access people who are able to make your life better straight away, right? Um, one of the things that I find personally being a paediatric speech pathologist is that um, a parent will find that their child isn't talking quite the way that they were expecting was going to happen. And this is not a blame statement because this is probably what I would do as well. They go to people that they trust, often a family member or perhaps a GP or another professional. And the advice probably is from very, very well-intentioned, don't worry, I know somebody who was a bit slow to talk and they kind of grew out of it. So just wait, you know, like that sort of thing, um, which is comes from a really, really lovely place, which is kind of like, everything's going to be fine. I want you to be happy. Um, and that's true. That does happen. There are a percentage of kids who are, because of the law of average, some people are going to be below average, like 50% of us. Um, and, you know, some of them do actually catch up, but for quite a significant number of kids, that catch up doesn't take place. Yes. Um, and I think that it's really important too. And I also think that when we say, oh, don't worry, it'll, it'll all work out, that black cloud just doesn't poof and disappear. Like, no, I think missing an opportunity of neural plasticity. I know, right? That's exactly <laughs> it. And, you know, like, I love it if I actually have a family come in and see me and actually, do you know what? When we, when we do this sort of technique, actually we do get communication and things are going well, you don't need to see me anymore. You know, like with the workforce demand, I don't need to keep clients. If I can actually give you some really, really good advice, it's going to make a huge difference to a child's life. Wow, brilliant. Mm. Exactly what I'm here for, right? Perfect. So I suppose that's what I really want to see happen. That kind of, well, let's not wait and see. You know, it's similar to sort of like now if you get a cold, stay home from work. You know, like let's just do what's kind of sensible. 
Um, so I, I want to eliminate that sort of wait and see. And so the profession itself are looking at how do we make that happen? How do we target general mm -hmm. practitioners and actually just have that really simple message, which is actually it's not kind to wait. If you've got concerns, it'd be really, really nice to see. And not just for paediatrics, that's just my world. Grab it early. Anybody, yeah, in terms of anybody that comes in, because communication can happen at any particular point. Yeah. You know, the way that we communicate as a teenager or in the workplace is very different to how we communicate in kindy or, you know, reception or anything along those lines. So, you know, when you go to a doctor, if you've got a concern, you've actually had to get into your car and drive to the doctor's office. So there's obviously a concern, let's do something about it. So that's what I would like to see happen. And it's Wonderful. something we're working really hard towards mm. in the next year or so. Oh, fantastic. And then in terms of speech pathologists working with other disciplines, what's your thoughts there? Look, I think that that's vital, absolutely mm. vital. Um, and I think quite often, you know, it makes sense that speech pathologists have had to try and work out what it is that we do, like what is our range of practice, because you have those kinds of conversations like you were having at your conference, that sort of, oh, people need to know what it is that we kind of do. But I also think that speech pathologists need to know what it is that other professions do as well. Absolutely. And I think psychology does this incredibly well. So oh. psychology is in, you know, organisational psychology is a branch of psychology, you know, like that's working within business. Mm. But I also think that places like um, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, speech pathology, actually it's time for us to be um, not moving into, but actually really understanding areas like engineering or coding or human resources and not necessarily that sort of multidisciplinary traditional we all stick together as allied health practitioners but you know like when it comes to diversity I'm not just thinking about um, cultural diversity or background or linguistic diversity but I'm also really interested in people who were engineers and then became speech pathologists yeah. Um, people have those different professions and mix those together on what you can kind of come out with. And if you don't have that background, well, then talking to other people about their profession. Like, I think speech pathology and law would actually merge together incredibly well because so much of law is about telling a story, getting organised, and what does a contract actually really mean? Like, actually having somebody being able to translate legal documents into a way that's much more open for everyone. Well, isn't that a better world? You know, so I, I think that we, we do, like we're really working out what the profession is, but we do actually need to be moving into and not just traditional health backgrounds. So yeah. Interesting. I've just written down health storytelling, like in all <laughs> its forms, communication. Yeah. Precisely. Precisely. And so with that in mind, what would you say to any of the speech pathologists who are listening? Also, you know, we've got lots of other disciplines and therapists listening as well. Yeah. So, you know, this is your opportunity. Go forth and do well. Message, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> what have you got for yeah, us? No, I honestly, I honestly think that the best advice is to not listen to any advice that you don't deliberately ask for. So I actually think that, you know, like, and the reason why I think that is because I think that everybody in allied health has a very, very different journey. And that's what I love about being in allied health. I quite often, this has been lovely. It's, this has probably been the most I've spoken about myself in a long time because I'm much more interested in, in other people's stories and their journeys and, you know, why are you working in this particular area and what motivates you about that sort of stuff? So everybody's really, really different. So I suppose don't listen to advice unless you actually really need it because there's an area that you're really, really interested in. So I can really only tell you advice that has worked for me and advice that's worked for me personally is actually watching 
watching people and learning from people in terms of how they interact with others and what they do. So I have learned something from every line manager that I've ever had in my life about how to manage, how to communicate with people in an effective way. Some of it good and some of it kind of, oh, I would probably avoid that sort of thing. And both of those things are equally good. Um, and also learning from colleagues as well about how they interact with and, and all that sort of stuff. I had a student last year and I learned so much from that student about, you know, how to sort of interact with, you know, small kids and, you know, like just having that ability to just stop and listen. She was amazing, but you need to have that ability, I think, to just sort of stop and kind of go, what's this person doing? Are they doing it well? Could I give that a bit of a guy? Yeah, which I think is, yeah. The only advice that has worked for me real personally that I think could work for most people. That's so wise, not listening not to really advice. What people <laughs> heard, but it's <laughs> no, it really is. You just like a light bulb went off when you said listening to all sorts of unsolicited advice. You know, that's changing your lane too often, isn't it? Like you didn't ask for that. So you're going to get shiny, shiny syndrome. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, my favorite saying, I'm, I'm, I just talk in sayings and pictures, but my favourite one is driving from Brisbane to the Gold Coast and getting off at every exit. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would be like listening to every piece of advice. Get in your lane and, and go. I love <laughs> that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Tim, is there anything else that you wanted to say or you wanted me to ask you that I haven't? Oh, look, I think that we've proved that you and I could probably chat for absolutely ages. Couldn't we, Megan? <laughs> Not really. I just, look, I think, I, I think that personally it's okay to not be having a brilliant day in allied health. Mm, I actually yeah. think a lot of allied health people are in it to improve the entire world. And sometimes we fall short. I think it's important that we're actually kind of kind to ourselves. Yeah. So one of the pieces of advice that I did listen to was every minute of therapy really, really counts. You know, like you've only got an hour in a week maximum and you've got to make as much change as absolutely possible. And I ran myself ragged actually really sort of skipping the person that's actually in that room and really working on a program. And I think what I, to be fair, I think I didn't interpret that advice in exactly the right way. Mm. I actually think that there is no such thing as a perfect therapy hour, but as long as you have got that intention that you're there to make somebody's life better mm. and you listen to them and hear them, then that's okay. That's a good use of an hour. All coming from the right place and hit the reset button. Yeah. <laughs> and allied health is a fun place to be in. You know, yeah. if you if you, can, if you can still take it seriously and it can still be fun. Yes. Good on you. So interesting talking to you. This has been really refreshing. It'd be, be just fascinating to be. Oh, there's so many things, you know, that international board with all of those amazing people, you know, in one room and the brains trust of that. Oh, gosh, we could. That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> Tim, let's, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much. And we'll include the uh, link to the Speech Pathology Australia website if people want more information where you're watching this video. And yeah, thanks so much again for your time. It's been just a delight talking to you. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Megan. Thank you.